Okay, so if you would open with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to ask you to open to three passages today. I'm going to, well, I'll give them to you in advance, and, and if you want to open them to them in advance, you can do that. Philippians 1, Romans chapter 8, and 1 Peter chapter 1. Philippians 1, Romans chapter 8, and 1 Peter chapter 1. Those are going to be the, the order that we're looking at them this morning. Can we handle three passages today? Can we do that? Three people. All right. The rest of you, uh, you're, you're, you're just along for the ride today. Philippians chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 3 today. We're going to look at verses 3 through 8. Uh, we looked at these last week, but we're going to look at them again. We're going to pull out another truth from them. So Philippians chapter 3. Paul says, I thank my God. Philippians chapter 1, I'm sorry. Philippians chapter 1. Verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you spoke the worlds into existence, that actually the worlds came into existence in obedience to your word. Lord, you have been shaping all of human history by your word. Lord, your word became flesh and dwelt among us in the person of your son, Jesus Christ. That perfect word lived a perfect life went to the cross, died for our sin, shed his blood in our place to redeem us back to you, rose again on the third day in victory, ascended to your right hand, returning again soon. Lord, it's through your word that we have life. It's through faith in your son that we have forgiveness of sins. It's through perseverance the preserving word, your word preserves us in this life and will deliver us into the kingdom of God. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word. Speak to our hearts today. Help me today to communicate the message that you want your people to receive. Let your word be a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. Lord, I thank you that your word is, is so sweet Lord, it's so full of, of, of what our souls need. It's so full of, of the, the nutrition that we need in this world. So give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Open our hearts to receive your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Now, last week, we looked at this passage, but we looked at the, the relational dynamics of this passage. We really focused on the relationship between Paul the apostle, Paul the missionary, Paul the church planter, and this re, a church in Philippi, this church congregation that was, come, had come alongside him, was supporting him in his ministry. And so we looked at that dynamic between missionaries that go out and churches that support. And, and we looked at how we, like the church in Philippi, partner with missionaries in the gospel to, to send the word of God out, to send the good news of Jesus out, to, to, to fulfill, to work, and to accomplish the Great Commission, which is the salvation of the world, the salvation of the nations. And so we have a part to play in that through these gospel partnerships. Now today, we're going to shift from looking at the, the, the practical relationships, the, the relational dynamics in this passage, and we're going to look at some of the theological truths. And, and there really is one big theological truth that stands out in this passage. And this truth is glorious. This truth is transcendent. This truth uh, touches our hearts and will touch our hearts, our hearts each and every day if we will allow ourselves to, to embrace it and to think on it and to meditate on it. And so I'm going to do my best to, to use the, the time that we have here today. I'm going to use, do my best to use this sermon to hammer this truth down deep into your hearts, to just keep pounding it, to keep hitting it today because you need this truth in your life. You need the truth that's offered in this passage in the world that we live as we live out our days, however many days the Lord would give us. And so I'm going to focus in today really on verses 6 and 7. And that is this where Paul says, I am sure. Paul is sure. Are you sure of anything today? You know, we sang that song, I believe. I believe these things. And sometimes we, we, we believe in things that we are, we're, we're a little bit aspirational to. We, we hope in them. We believe in them. But we need to move beyond just belief and, and, and to a, beyond just a hoping, beyond just a, man, I really hope that's true, to a confidence. When we say we believe, that should be we are confident in these truths. We are convinced, convinced of these truths. We are convicted of these truths. We are persuaded by these truths. And Paul here says he is sure. He is sure of what he's about to say. He is confident in it. He has been persuaded by it. He is convinced of this fact. Of what? What is he sure of? That he who began... A good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is really good news. This is really, really good news. What is the good work that Jesus has begun? What is this work? It's the work of salvation in our lives. That's the work. The work of saving our souls. But how many of you know that that salvation work has not, we have not yet seen the fullness 
of what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. We, have, we don't see it yet here. We, we, we're not walking in the fullness of that. It has started in our lives. But the great and glorious truth is that what has been, what, what began will be completed. That it, it will not be left unfinished. It will be brought to completion. That it will be accomplished. That it will be finished. That it will be made perfect. And, and why is Paul so sure of this? I want to draw your attention to this. Why is he sure of this? What, what is it that produces such confidence in the apostle? Is it because the apostle Paul is so confident in his own ability as a minister? That he you know, planted this church, he discipled these believers, he taught them the word of God? Is he so confident in his precision and clarity and passion and power as a minister, as a teacher of the word of God? Is, is that where he places his confidence? No, that's not it at all. Maybe is it the surrounding circumstances in the city of Philippi? Is, is that where the confidence is? That the, the situation is there and it's just so perfect for them and, and, and it's not like it is in Corinth and it's not like it is in Galatia and it's not like it is in Ephesus where all of these believers are struggling. No, Philippi is just this, this golden age, this golden place where, where people can live out their Christian faith and, and, and do so without any persecution or, or without any suffering. Is that why he's, he's so confident? no. Is it because of the church? Because it's just such a marvelous church family and, and they've got everything right and they just all love each other perfectly and serve each other perfectly and, and that's why he's so sure and confident? No. Does he place his confidence in the Philippians themselves? The Philippian saints, are they super saints? Were, were these saints a cut above? The other saints of that time, of that day, is that why the apostle is so confident? Because these Philippians are just so wonderful, they're just so holy, they have some sort of special ability to, to really live out the Christian life. Is it any of these things? No. In fact, it's none of these things. And if his certainty was based on any of these things, if his certainty was based on, on him and, and his abilities as an apostle, if his, his certainty was based on the surrounding circumstances of the Philippian believers, if his uh, confidence was based on, on them and, and their ability to live out the Christian life, if it was those things, it would leave us with nothing but despair. Because I haven't been discipled by Paul. I don't live in Philippi. I'm not some sort of super saint. But no, this truth doesn't leave us in despair because he does not place his confidence in any of those things. So what is the source of the apostle's surety and confidence? I am sure of this, that he, 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 who began a good work is the one who will bring it to completion. His confidence 
is not in himself. His confidence is not in the Philippians. His confidence is in Jesus. His confidence is in Christ. His confidence is in the nature and character of God. What God begins, God finishes. God will not leave the work undone. Amen. God will not leave the work undone. That's really good news for all of us who have had the work started in our lives. Who have had the work started. Who have been called out of darkness. Who have the love of God in our hearts. You, you might say, how, how do I know? How do I know if, if God's work has started in my life? Do you love God? Do you love God? That, that is the number one, the greatest evidence that you are a believer, that you are born again, is if you love God. You see, those who are in darkness do not love God. They are enemies of God. They're enemies of the cross. They're enemies of Christ. Do you love God's Son, Jesus? Do you love the gospel? Do you love the brothers? Do you love the sisters? Do you love the church, the saints of God, the people of God? If you read the book of 1 John, it's five short chapters. If you're, if you're struggling with this issue, am, am I a true believer? Do, has God really began the work in me? Read the book of 1 John. It was written so that you may know where you stand in your faith with God. And he uses that term maybe 15 or 20 times, so that you may know, so that you may know. This is, this is what a true believer is. Read 1 John. Walk through it. The Lord will show you. If you, if you get to the end and you look at it and you, you say, I, I don't think I'm a believer. Call out to God. Call, call, the Bible says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Call out to Jesus Christ. Put your faith in His work for you. And God will start that work in your life. What God begins, God finishes. His confidence is in the Lord. Flip over with me to Romans chapter 8. This passage we're going to look at starts with my favorite verse in the whole Bible, Romans 8, 28. This passage, Romans 8, 28 through Romans 30, is what theologians and scholars called the golden chain of salvation. 
the golden chain of salvation or the unbroken chain of salvation. And again, Paul starts out with this phrase, and we know. Remember, he, in, in, in Philippians, he said, and we are sure, I am sure of this. I am confident of this. Again, in Romans 8, 28, he says, and we know. We are sure of this. We are convict, convict, convinced of this, convicted by this. We know. Which is interesting because in verse 26, just a few verses earlier, he said, we do not know. So, so in we, as we go through there's this life, there's some things we don't know, but there's some things that we can know. Verse 26, he says, the Spirit leads us in our weakness. How many of you would admit that even though you love God, you still have some weaknesses you're working through? I didn't ask if you loved God perfectly. I just asked if you loved God. I didn't ask if you loved God the way he should be loved. I just asked if you loved him at all. But the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Well, what, what is, what, well how does this weakness express itself? He says in, in one way the Spirit, the, 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 our, weaknesses is, our, weakness is, our weakness is expressed is that we do not know what to pray for as we ought. How many of you ever find that to be true? You, you get in situations and circumstances where you just say, God, I don't even know how to pray for this right now. Well, what is the, out, what is the right outcome in this situation? Paul says we don't even know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Notice this is not our groanings. This is the Holy Spirit groaning himself as he intercedes for us. The Holy Spirit standing in the gap. That's what that word intercede means. Verse 27, he who searches the hearts knows what is in the mind, uh, knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And so even as we don't know how we ought to pray, the Spirit is interceding on our behalf according to the will of God. And that's what we don't know. But verse 28, he shifts from what we don't know to what we do know. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That's good news. And here is the, now verse 29 through 30. These two verses really tie into uh, verse 6 of Philippians chapter 1. This is the good that God is working in our lives. What is that good? Does it mean that I'm just going to be wealthy? Is that the good? That I'm just going to have material possessions running out my ears? Is that the good that God's working for me in my life? No, it's not, by the way. Sorry. We, we, we all have believed part of this prosperity gospel that is so pervasive today. This is not the good that God is primarily concerned with. 
It's not bad to prosper financially. It's not bad to prosper materially. The Bible says that, that God bestows wealth and riches on people. That's a good thing. But the Bible also says that those who are rich in the, this age should use their wealth to expand the kingdom of God. And so if you are rich and wealthy, and if you live in America in the 21st century, we have more than anybody else who has ever lived in the history of the world. You need to have some perspective on our lives. We might not be bazillionaires, but we live, for the most part, we live like kings in this nation. We are wealthy. Thank God we are blessed. But that's not the good that God is primarily and has in focus when he says this here. So what is the good? Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew. God knew you before you were born. God knew you before you were born. The psalmist writes, he says, you formed me, you, you knit me together in my mother's womb. God knew you before you were born. That those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Predestined for what? To be conformed to the image of his son. God is working out in you the life of Christ. The image of Christ. We were created in the image of God that was distorted and, and broken because of sin. But now through the work of Christ in our lives, that image of God is, is being reformed, being reshaped in our lives. Predestined to become conformed to the image of his son in order that he, Christ, might be the first among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, now this is the golden chain. Those whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is an unbroken chain. There are no breaks in this link. If God has foreknown you before you were born, he also predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son. He has also called you out of darkness and into light through the preaching of the gospel. He has also justified you. That means you have been declared righteous, that your unrighteousness was placed on Christ and you are now clothed in the righteousness of Christ, justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And Paul is so confident of the fact that we will be glorified in our bodies that he states it in the past tense. That all of this took place in eternity past, even before God ever said, let there be light. So if you are a believer in Jesus Christ today, he who began the good work in you will continue to work it out and bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. This is good news. This is good news. Now, I am not saying that life is always going to be easy. Thank you. I'm not saying that there won't be dark 
or difficult times. The psalmist says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's not a good time. That's not an easy trip. When you plan out your course in life, when you decide your, your, when you set out your plans for life, you don't punch into your GPS. I want to go through the valley of the shadow of death. No, you, we try to go around it, right? Nevertheless, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Which means my soul, my soul needs some restoration from time to time. Which means sometimes I get so bogged down with the weight and the, the cares of this life and the cares of this world that I need some restoration in my soul. A little bit of renovation in my soul. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. Why? For the sake of His name. For the glory of His name. He is producing in you the righteousness of Christ for His own glory. For His own name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid. I will fear no evil. Why? Because I'm so strong? Because I, I was trained in spiritual warfare and I know how to use the armor of God and I know how to pray and I know how to do all of these things. I'm a super Christian who's read all the books in the Christian bookstore. Watch out, devil. No, no. I will fear no evil because you are with me. We fear no evil because the shepherd is with us. The shepherd is with us. Even in the dark valleys, even in the dark times, you are with me. Jesus made the promise, I will never leave you or forsake you. In the Great Commission, he said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You understand that the rod and the staff that the shepherd used was for correction, to, to get the sheep back on track in the right path, that he would lovingly whack them to keep them moving in the right direction, to keep them off the paths of, of destruction, the paths that would lead to their uh, uh, damnation, the, the paths of the destroyer. The, the Lord gently will bring correction into our lives to keep us on the right path. C could it be that the valley that you're going through, could it be that the, the suffering and the, the hardship and the pain of, uh, that you experience in this life, could it be that those are actually the grace of God that keep you close to himself as the shepherd? Could it be that that's the Lord actually protecting you, keeping you from straying off the path, 
from straying into darkness, from straying into to damnation? Could it be that? Yes, it can. Yes, it can. Because when do we look for God? When do we come running back to the house of God? When do we pursue God like never in our lives? When things are going well? When we just won the lottery? When our bank account is full? Is that, is that when we seek God with all of our hearts and mind and strength? No, it's not. Let's be honest, it's not. It's in the hard times. It's in the valley. It's when, it's when things are uncertain. It's when there's pain. It's when there's grief. It's when there's sorrow that we go looking for the shepherd. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy and you make my cup overflow. Surely, Again, this word, sure, I'm sure, I am confident of this. I am, I am sure of this. I am convinced of this. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Listen, if you're going through a trial, you're going through a dark time, you're going through a valley, just look behind you. Because guess what's following you? Goodness and mercy are there. The Lord's goodness, the Lord's mercy is there with us, even in the dark times. They follow us all the days of our lives. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We fear no evil in the valley because he is with us. I'm not saying there won't be dark and difficult times. I'm not saying you'll never have doubts or wrestle with fear or wrestle with anxiety or even have bouts of depression. In fact, Jesus said, in the world you will have. Oh, I love that verse, don't you? Why don't we put that one on coffee mugs? I'll go look at all your Christian bumper stickers. Not a single one of them. In the world you will have tribulation, quotes Jesus. No, nobody has that. But there's a second part of that verse. But take heart. What does that mean? That means steady your soul on this truth. Take heart. Jesus said, I have overcome the world. Amen. So what does that mean? Well, if we have tribulation in the world, but Jesus has overcome the world, it means that every tribulation, every trial, every temptation... Even every fault and failing of ours, Jesus has overcome it. And so what the enemy means for evil, God actually intends for good. And so the world will not be victorious over us. Though we may experience tribulation in the world, its effects will not come, come to fruition in our lives. Because Jesus is victorious over the world. And so every plan of the enemy, every scheme, every suffering, every fear, every doubt, all of it will not have its effect in your life. It will not come to fruition in your life. It will not ultimately bear fruit in your life because Jesus is Lord even over that. And he who began the good work in you 
will bring it to completion. So I'm not saying we won't have tribulation, but what I am saying is that God is working all things. All things. All means all. This doesn't exclude anything. All things for the good, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. What I am saying is that in spite of the hurt, in spite of the betrayal, in spite of the pain, in spite of the abuse, in spite of those who have harmed you and wronged you and spoken evil against you, I'm saying in spite of the fear, in spite of the anxiety, in spite of the depression, in spite of all of these things, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. He who began redemption will finish redemption. He who justified will continue to sanctify until you are glorified. It is an unbroken chain of redemption. Flip back to uh, Philippians chapter 1. Verse 7, he says, It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart, for you, all are, you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Partakers of grace in my imprisonment. Partakers of grace in the defense of the gospel. Partakers of grace in the confirmation of the gospel. Grace, we, we looked at this the second week in our series, or the third week in our series. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. The unmerited blessings of God. Blessings, favor that we do not merit, we do not deserve, we have not earned. God just bestows them upon us because he loves us and because he is good. Grace. Paul says that there was grace in the prison. Paul says there was grace as he defended the gospel. Paul says there was grace as his gospel was confirmed. Whatever season that you are in, look for the grace of God. There is the grace of God in the season that you're in. Whether you're on the mountaintop praising God, giving God glory for the victory, or whether you're walking through the valley with the good shepherd, trust me, there is grace, unmerited favor of God in every season of life. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. On the good days, there are goodness and mercy. On the bad days, there are still goodness and mercy. There is grace, unmerited favor in every season. Look for the grace of God in that season that you're in. You will find it. You will see it. Look for the grace. Paul says 
You partook of, you, you, we share in the same grace, we share in the same unmerited favor. You are there in Philippi, you are there in a beautiful church. You are there worshiping with other believers, other saints who love God and, and who encourage one another and lift one another up. That's where you are. And that's where the blessing of God is being manifest in your life. Paul says, but there's still grace for me, even though I'm in prison, even though I'm in chains, even though I've been locked away for four years, even though I'm awaiting potentially being put to death for preaching the gospel, in spite of all of those things, God is still showing me his grace. God is still showing me unmerited favor. And we'll look at how that manifests in Paul's life next week as we move into verse 9. Grace in every season, whatever season you're in, look for the grace of God. Now, when will this be completed? He, he says it when it will be completed. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion when I want it. Right now? At the day of Jesus Christ. What is that day that he's talking about? He's talking about the day that he returns. It's called the day of the Lord, the great and glorious day of the Lord. Are you looking forward to that day? I'm looking forward to that day. Amen. We should live our lives every day looking forward to that day. Living in light of that day. Living in light of the fact that Jesus will return. And every wrong he will right, every tear he will wipe away from our eyes. There will be no more suffering on that day. There will be no more pain on that day. There will be no more sickness on that day. There will be no more cancer. There will be no more pandemic. There will be no more COVID-19 on that day. There will be no more funerals on that day because death has been defeated on that day. The book of Revelation talks about that he takes death and hell and Hades and throws death into the lake of fire. The death of death on that day. Are you looking forward to that day? This is when the work will be completed. Just as the Lord is meticulously presiding over the macro events, the, the big events, the, the, the cosmos, just as he's presiding over all of the affairs of this world, bringing them to a glorious crescendo on that day, just as he's concerned about all of those things, what this tells us in verse 6 is that likewise he is ruling and reigning over the micro events of our lives, bringing them into an equally glorious crescendo when he returns and completes his work in our lives. The same Lord who is the creator of the sun and the moon and every star in every galaxy in all of the universe is the same creator who formed and fashioned you in your mother's womb. The author and the giver of life is also the author and the perfecter of your faith. The same hands that hung the stars are the same hands that hold you and hold you in the palm of his hand and that will deliver you on that day into the kingdom of God. Now we want it now, don't we? Let's be honest, we want it now. 
We want it our way. We've been indoctrinated, discipled more by Burger King than we have the Word of God because we want it now and we want it our way, which I don't think they've ever delivered on that promise for me, but that's another issue. We want it how we want it. But if it was that way, guess who would, there would be no confidence for Paul. If it was on our terms and our way, we would mess it up. Amen? But it's on his terms and it's his way. He will complete his work, his way on his time. And that's what it means when we call him Lord. I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so if you're going through a season, a dark season, I believe many of us are, it's been a difficult couple of years. What do we do? We likewise should have the same confidence that whatever season that we're in, the Lord is going to finish his work in us. He's going to complete it. He's going to bring us to perfection. But I would also encourage you in all things, as I always do, that we should look to the cross. Look to the cross. If you are suffering, look to the one who suffered. Jesus suffering on the cross. If you have been betrayed, look to the one who was betrayed. Jesus, our Savior, Jesus, our Lord. If you've been forsaken, look to the one who was forsaken. Look to the one who cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Whatever suffering you have endured, it pales into comparison to the suffering of Christ on the cross. Whatever betrayal you have endured, it pales in comparison to the betrayal of Jesus Whatever forsaking has been done unto you, you have not been forsaken by God. Amen. Look to the suffering Savior. But the good news is that Jesus not only suffered for our sins, but that he rose again to give us new life. Victorious, he rose over every foe, over every enemy, over every obstacle, over every circumstance, over every situation that you might find yourself in, Jesus is victorious over all. And like the Apostle Paul, I am sure, I am sure that the same one who created all things by his word is the same one who caused you to be born again by his word. That the same one who rose in victory on that third day is the same one who gives you the power, who gives you the, the victory, who helps you to overcome every obstacle, every hurt, every circumstance. I am sure that the same one who defeated death is the same one who has defeated every foe of your soul. And I am sure that the one who on the cross declared it is finished is the same one who will finish the work of salvation that he started in you. Amen. 
The work is God's. He began it and he will complete it. Amen.